In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? And get your vaccine. Vaccine, vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sub Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, we are here with Ali Vitali. She's the Capitol Hill correspondent for NBC News and MSNBC. And I know personally the first person I hit up when I am trying to figure out what the hell is going on in Congress that day. What are they doing at work? We're so excited to finally chat face to face with you. Thanks, guys. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I love watching you, your stories, obviously not you personally, Um, your stories when you're inside (laughs) We don't watch the news, we watch the behind the scene content about the news, of course. Both are great. (laughs) But it it does give like some insight, just kind of like your vibe on Instagram stories, kind of communicates its own thing if you are a frequent enough watcher, so. I hope so. I mean, we love giving the behind the scenes. Congress is ever moving, even if the cameras aren't on us. Yeah, yeah. And you're in a recording studio in the Capitol right now, right? Yeah, I'm in our house booth, which is very, cool. very scenic and very cold right now. So. Is it just for MSM, for NBC or is it for any media? Yeah, there's a bunch of different booths back cool. here, but this one is just for NBC. So this is where we huddle during the day when we're not running around chasing lawmakers. Oh, got it. Got it. Cool, cool. So Do you physically chase ever? Like, with your oh, yeah. shoes, feet. You know, oh, there you- are frequent chases. There's a lot of decisions made about shoes, specifically about hard marble floors, standing all day, running after lawmakers. Who's the fastest? I mean, oh gosh, Joe Manchin is pretty fast, and we spend <laughs> a pretty good is. amount of time chasing him. Not only that, though, I'm five two. Every lawmaker feels like they're six feet, yeah. and their strides are worth like ten of mine. So I'm always scurrying to keep up. Yeah, What's your yeah. go-to for comfort and chicness? Obviously. It's a great question. I'm a big Rag and Bones booty fan. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I wear a lot of those. Otherwise, a good sneaker will get you through. Right. And those aren't on camera, so you're you're pretty good. Exactly. But you got to make the whole outfit come together. Right, right. right. Do you do a, like, do you bring a pair of sneakers in a bag or do you really just try to have like a hybrid shoe all day? No, hybrid shoe all day, though. The old New Yorker in me used to do the sneakers stowed away for the subway trip. And then you'd change once you get to the office. Yeah. But no, yeah. here, <laughs> going the whole thing all day. Oh, man, I feel like we could do a whole bonus episode just on the differences between like New York City and D.C. professional workwear, because if I moved to D.C., it would be an adjustment. I feel like you got to buy a whole new wardrobe. Like you can't just wear whatever. I mean, you can wear whatever you want. I mean, Kirsten Sinema wears whatever she wants, but... <laughs> I feel I like a lot of people like a real adjustment. Yeah, it definitely was. 
I could do a whole a whole series just on questions about like what happens behind the scenes, but I let's know. get we'll into the let's get one. into the meat today. <laughs> Unfortunately, there is some meat to day. talk about today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so, we got news. Yeah, we're so excited to have you here today. I mean, we were chatting before this that usually Monday, Sammy and I do a little catch up of what's going on, and we're so happy you're here today because we're sort of feel to be sort of like it's almost like we sort of just ended a semester in Congress, and a lot happened. We have a lot to process. I'm not really sure where we ended up. And uh, you have been, I feel like you have been on the Hill reporting on this of every single one of the last 365 days. I mean, I feel like you probably count on one hand how many days we've had off, but we wanted to bring you in to sort of like help us process and get your insight as a reporter on like where we are headed next, if you think you have a, a good sense of that. I mean, I don't blame you guys for sort of feeling like it's a merry-go-round because on a lot of the big issues that Democrats have been trying to put through, so the Build Back Better agenda, specifically on the social spending and climate change package, that sort of ended with a whimper, not a bang at the end of last year. It sort of fell apart. And then the same thing happened last week on the voting rights push that Democrats were, were making, where we all sort of knew that the votes didn't exist for them to pass voting rights with Republicans because Republicans weren't going to come to the table on this. And then we also knew that Democrats were not all united, all 50 of them, to change the Senate filibuster rules. So the whole thing was sort of dead on arrival, but we watched it happen anyway last week. And that's why it does start, kind of feel like chasing our tails and a merry-go-round a little bit up here on the Hill right now. Yeah, I mean, you said, like, things felt dead on arrival. And we heard the president last week sort of answer questions like, why did you think you were going to have an easier time? What what didn't he anticipate when he set out this agenda a year ago, do you think? You know, I think he didn't fully anticipate the impact of the ideological range of his party here in the Senate. Like, to be a Democrat means a whole lot of different things. It means that Democrats are Joe Manchin and Democrats are Bernie Sanders. And there's a whole lot of policy room in between. And I remember when I was on the campaign trail following Biden in 2020, he was pitching being someone who could bridge divides and build consensus. But he was talking about doing that with Republicans. Most of the negotiating he's actually been doing, though, as president has been with members of his own party, specifically Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. so much so that we've sort of started shorthanding that duo here as yeah. Cinemanchin or Manchinema. <laughs> I mean, you take your pick, but those are always the two senators. When you talk about Democrats having to negotiate amongst themselves, typically we're talking about Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema because they have always been at the center of all of these battles. So after the failure of Build Back Better, Biden used a turn of phrase that has not left my mind since I heard it last week, which yeah. is that he said the legislation is going to be divided into big chunks. I don't know um, why that hit me the wrong way, too. See, I, like, I, I can't think it's a lot of people. A speechwriter didn't write down big chunks. <laughs> right. Like, there's so many other ways you could have phrased it, but we don't have to go there. Yeah, what, we're being what such... Kind of, what kind of chunks do you think it's going to be divided into, if any? What do you think could be successful? And do you think there's any chance we're getting, like, a renewal of the child tax credit, anything for climate? Why would that happen well, if this didn't work? So, you know, who else took issue with the phrase chunks was Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And that was because of the way that Democrats have been trying to do this whole thing in the first place, which is through a budget mechanism called reconciliation that basically lets Democrats move this legislation forward without any Republican support. You can only actually use that process once or twice. And so the idea of chunks would have to be climate and the child tax credit. Like it would have to be multiple policy pieces within this package still 
just because of the way that Democrats want to do this. And so what could be in that, yes, they really want to push forward on combating climate change. It's such a key piece of the president's agenda, but also something Democrats have campaigned on here. They've also been really passionate about uh, the child tax credit. We know that millions of Americans across the country didn't get those payments in the middle of January in the way that they were last year. The last payment went out in the middle of December, right before the holidays. Talk to multiple senators here who say they're hearing from their constituents. Wow. They're missing those checks. And we're still in the pandemic right now. That was one of the key things that was supposed to help Americans chart a path out of the pandemic recession and of course, also bolster families across the board. So there's a lot of things Democrats want to get done here. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click gift mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. It seems like Joe, or Joe Manchin has already voiced uh, concerns about the child tax credit. Even last week, Joe Biden said, I don't even know if we can get that. And that one makes me particularly nervous in terms of Democrats' midterm chances, because like you said, people had these checks. And when you take things away from people, you're viewed as like as as taking it away and amid this inflation. So you like I said, you've been on the ground, not just talking to Joe Manchin about what he supports, but I presume talking to other staffs and lawmakers about what they think Joe Manchin can support. So yeah. is there a um, what path do do people on the Hill think is is the most have the most potential right now? What do you think has the most potential right now when it comes to Joe Manchin specifically? 
Well, when you talk about the child tax credit too, right? The idea of giving it and then taking it away, that was actually sort of one of the main strategic thinking points for Democrats when they first put together Build Back Better, right? Not everything was spanned out over 10 years and certainly the child tax credit was not. But the thinking was if you show Americans the impact of these programs for a year, two years, three years, that there could build more public support behind it. And then you could pass it going forward in a more long-term way, whether it was bipartisan or through another kind of reconciliation package. That was the thinking. And that's actually part of why Joe Manchin kind of pumped the brakes on this, because he was saying that he felt that the cost that was the overall overhead here, which came down to like $1.7 trillion when all was said and done at the end of last year, he was saying that he thought that that price tag wasn't necessarily fair because some of the programs were set for Mm -hmm. one or two years as opposed to the full 10-year period that you look at in bills like this. So cost has always been the thing for him that he has cited. He's also talked about how he needs things to be paid for. So he has said that he's supportive of things like the child tax credit, but he wants to see them spanned out over the course of 10 years. I'd also say that as much as everyone is trying to look at what he will support, it feels like the conversation on the Hill right now is more about what he's most not likely to block. So, for instance, you talk about paid family and medical leave, which is in the House version of this bill right now, but is probably not going to be in the Senate version because multiple times that I've talked to Joe Manchin about this, he has said that he wants to do paid leave, but not through this budget process. He wants to do it as a bipartisan standalone bill. And it's not exactly clear that there's the momentum for that. We also know, though, from my sources and other sources that have talked to our Hill team, he has said in closed door meetings that Americans, specifically his constituents in West Virginia, would abuse paid leave time and use it to go deer hunting during deer season. We also heard him express similar skepticism about the child tax credit. Our sources told us right before the end of the year that Manchin was privately telling his colleagues he thought parents would use their child tax credit payments to buy drugs. So it all lends to the skepticism up here on the Hill about what Joe Manchin might actually allow to be put in this package. Yeah, especially because it sounds like it's just such a he has a deep suspicion of the government giving just any giving Americans money just because. And that seems like it would be a barrier. And that's why he said that he wants to see all of this stuff be means tested. And for a lot of it, it is. I mean, for paid leave, you are employed. You need a job to leave from. True. (laughs) Um, So that is one fashion of means testing in terms of are you employed? There are also other barometers set in these bills for income levels of how much you get of these different pieces of legislation. So those are baked in. His colleagues know that that's important to him. Right. Isn't this all kind of like a a bit of a red herring because A, the seat, didn't the CBO say that this would be paid for with tax increases or basically it was, it was essentially going to be covered. And then two, Joe Manchin saying that he doesn't want to do it through reconciliation but he knows that it won't get done any other way. So do you do you believe this? Like, what is your natural sort of reaction to that? He is an abiding optimist in the power of bipartisanship in the Senate. Mm. Someone who continuously goes back to the idea. <laughs> well, it is. It's he's someone who goes back to the idea that this was a building that at one point did things in a bipartisan fashion. But we have only seen, especially as the House has gotten more partisan, which the House is a true reflection of the country. And we know that the country right now is very heavily divided. We have seen Congress struggle to notch bipartisan wins. And so for Manchin, there is a a positive optimism there that it can get done. 
But the rubber meets the road there really quickly of what the realities are in the Senate. And the realities are that there doesn't seem like there's an appetite right now for something bipartisan on paid leave. And it also leaves Democrats open to questions about what have they actually done with their Senate and House majorities and a Democratic White House. Do you think there are any other Democrats in the Senate that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema serve to cover for? Like, do you think they are really the only two, one to two, standing in the way? Or are there others that just they're kind of taking the fall for? So, you know what? This is why we're actually seeing senators like Bernie Sanders saying, you know what? Let's put it to a vote on the floor. Yeah. He's saying that about Build Back Better, but we actually saw the impact of that with voting rights and the filibuster rules change last week because Manchin and Cinema were, again, at the center of that battle within their party. But they were not the only Democrats who were skeptical of changing the Senate rules. When push came to shove last week, though, and it got to the floor, all 48 other Democrats ultimately voted to change the rules. Did that surprise that you? Included, I, I found that genuinely well, surprising. I don't know. I thought maybe there'd be one more. I thought it was surprising, but I also didn't because the people who we were watching closely, for example, Sarah, Senator Mark Kelly of Arizona, who's in a really tough reelection battle in the upcoming cycle. Senator K- Chris Coons of Delaware, he was also very reluctant to support a rules change. Both of them ultimately got on board with it. Mark Kelly effectively citing how important voting rights were. Right. And we've actually seen people in Arizona, the Arizona Democratic State Party, censure Senator Kirsten Sinema because she didn't vote with the rest of her party on that. So I think on Build Back Better, there might be people who are reluctant about the overall cost. But for the most part, I think that a lot of these lawmakers, when I talk to them, see it as a way to impact really big change with the short time that they have in the majorities. Is there any appetite among like Lisa Murkowski for paid leave? Like, I know we're not Democrats aren't going to get I can't imagine them getting 10 senators because it's like Joe Manchin yeah. says, I want it to be bipartisan and it could be bipartisan with with one with with one like with one Republican and technically senator. But technically, he says he's been right. talking to Susan Collins about it. Right, right. Exactly. But I, I guess it's like we, we get so in this. Well, Republicans just do not help Democrats. Everything's so partisan. But sometimes I wonder if it would be more effective from an organizing point of view to swarm Lisa Murkowski again, because <laughs> it's like, <laughs> is there any appetite with some of these moderate Republicans to to jump on with any of these things like paid leave and child tax credit? Or is that just a pipe dream? Look, I think on paid leave, again, Manchin has said that he is talking to Republicans, but there's a difference. And you pointed out between talking to one or two potential moderate Republicans who are willing to get on board and having enough of them to actually pass this in the the bipartisan fashion that it needs to pass, which at this point is 60 votes. So all 50 Democrats plus 10 Republicans or more. We did see bipartisanship happen. There's a reminder of it, a sliver, (laughs) when we talk about the bipartisan infrastructure bill. But then we also saw on the backside of that, the lack of permission structure among conservatives right now for that kind of legislating. Specifically in the House, you saw the dozen or so House lawmakers who were Republicans that actually voted for roads, tunnels, bridges. Many of them received a lot of backlash. Some of them even got death threats. It just sort of speaks to how polarized yeah. things are right now. So even if these lawmakers want to come together and want to work together, there's not necessarily a big round of applause for them when they get back home and say, hey, look at what we did. We were bipartisan. Right. These people just want an excuse to not go to work. They don't want roads, <laughs> tunnels and bridges. Tell that to Joe Manchin. <laughs> well, he, you know, he, he backed that. 
What is it like to cover these? I guess we do it too, but it's like, it must feel like deja vu. What is it like? Like, how do you get yourself in the right headspace to cover these things like they are actually going to happen this time? Because you can't really think like your job is to provide this information to the American people and you don't know ultimately what that like what what is it sort of like to be in these cycles over and over again? Is it frustrating? How do you how do you deal with it? Well, look, we are just constantly talking to our sources and trying to get the most right. up to date information possible. And the reality is, in a lot of these cases, when it seems like a deal is about to fall apart is exactly when it can get revived. Or alternatively, you have a news cycle like you had over the course of the last two weeks where the stakes were pretty much set on voting rights and a Senate filibuster rules change. We just had to sort of follow it to its natural conclusion. There were some different tangential offshoots along the way. I mean, there is now a bipartisan group of senators who are talking about smaller, much more targeted changes to things like the Electoral Count Act, which mm -hmm. deals with how vice presidents certify elections and certainly is something that we all think about because of January 6th and the pressure that was applied to then Vice President Mike Pence. That's something that lawmakers are talking about right now. It's not the same as sweeping federal voting rights packages, but it's something and it's targeted and it's bipartisan. There are different offshoots yeah. and, and ways that these stories can go. None of them are the same, but certainly among lawmakers, we hear that frustration a lot. We have heard a lot of frustrations over the course of the last few months on Build Back Better, on the way the infrastructure package came together. Progressives were not happy with that, especially because the social spending package never manifested itself. And certainly that frustration is there on voting rights, too. Yeah, I mean, as you were talking, it's sort of like, Every season of Real Housewives is basically the same, but there's always some new storylines. <laughs> the like there's, yeah, there are always some new threads. You do get some new information that gives you more that enriches your context on the overall on the overall universe. You don't get an SDNY case every season. I'm just gonna say that's that was, true. That's, that's rare. true. I, I feel like the you stakes are high though something now. extra to take to Bachelor in Paradise. You know, you gotta, you gotta bring a new favorite into that. Right, exactly. Yeah. We need we need new material for uh, for the midterms. I mean, what are My some Bachelor under... group chain is gonna be thrilled right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know we'll have to have you on the Bachelor next. <laughs> a dream. Yeah. <laughs> what are some under the radar stories in Congress you'll be curious about and covering in the coming months? Because you're always covering these these. I don't want to call them like side stories. They're just not the yeah. They're not the buzziest ones. They're not the horse race ones. They're not the sort of like Monday morning quarterback ones, but you're really good at finding these stories and finding what lawmakers are doing uh, that they're that they're there to do. Yeah, we, we try really hard to find those stories. And I think the thing I'm fascinated with over the next few months is what if any movement comes on the Women's Health Protection Act, yes. which would set rules at the federal level on abortion protections. The set the House has passed it. It's sitting in the Senate right now. And we just had on Saturday the 49th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision. And I talked with pro-choice as well as anti-abortion advocates for a story we did on the Today Show. Yep. And they are both preparing for a future without Roe. The Supreme Court decision on that could come squarely in the summer before the midterms. It's going to be hugely energizing for voters. Polling shows that that likely is going to be more energizing for Democratic voters than Republican voters, especially given that two thirds of Americans say they don't actually want to see Roe be fully right. overturned. But I think that that is going to be really crucial to the way that Democrats organize around the midterms. And frankly, there's going to be a lot of pressure up here on the Hill for them to do something on federal protections. 
from grassroots organizations. And I think the other thing that I'm paying attention to as we get close to the midterms is if Congress is going to continue the trend that we've seen over recent years of becoming more diverse with each new election cycle. We know 2018 was huge for Democratic women. 2020 was record breaking for Republican women. And it means then that more women get into the pipeline and more women can then ultimately strive for higher office with higher pedigrees. Obviously, I'm a two. Are you this. calling them electable? <laughs> I'm calling them electable, and it's because Qualified. I'm writing a book called Electable, and yeah. it's about women in the presidency. And so, this is a real passion of mine. But I think watching this trend in Congress ultimately translates to the presidency, and it's why we've got to pay attention to it so closely. Yeah. Before we let you go, I am constantly thinking about the Women's Health Protection Act and why. I mean, we're talking about in June when the pressure is going to be on, but I'm like, how is it that we're waiting until Roe is overturned? I mean, is this just is is the Women's Health Protection Act simply a matter of removing the filibuster, passing this, and then everybody has the right to an abortion? Or would that then go sort of straight to the courts? I mean, to me, it seems like what is what is the holdup? I mean, what barriers are there? What's the drawback to just passing that now? Let's imagine that we had the votes to do it. No, the answer is what you said. Yes okay. and yes. It's a matter of you would just need to change the filibuster and Democrats would have to go at this alone. And also then there would probably be challenges okay. to that going forward. I mean, and, and this is this is kind of the reality of a tight margined Senate and a tight margined House. The House has a little more wiggle room to play with. It's why they were able to pass this in the first place. But it's also why it's just sitting there in the Senate. Um, there's a lot of things like that that would frankly have to have a rules change in order to push forward. But I, I do have to tell you, as someone who has covered now two presidential cycles and a midterm election cycle, this is one of the most energizing issues. And one of the things that, especially as I was covering Democrats, I heard from voters consistently that this is the thing that they wanted their voters to show up for them on. House Democrats that I've talked to have said that they are putting that pressure on the Senate. But again, this is the reality versus the theory. The reality on this is that you're probably not going to see much movement there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a prediction question. Just one quick one. Do you think right, I'll that bring out my Repub crystal ball? <laughs> well, you know, you're <laughs> educated. It guess. is here. It's right. <laughs> educated guess. Uh, do you think that the Republicans will eliminate the filibuster if they take the Senate? That's a great question. It's one that we have asked Mitch McConnell. It's one that he has not actively answered in any kind of succinct way. But I think, I think that everything is on the table, right? I mean, mm -hmm. everything is on the table. And we have seen the ways that both parties, frankly, have changed and manipulated filibuster rules when they're in the majority. Democrats have done it. Republicans have done it. This is ever evolving here. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that's one of the key things that we're going to have to look at. And it's going to be a key issue in the midterms, too. I imagine Definitely. you'll see Democrats warning about that. You'll see Republicans warning about it now. This is going to be a huge battle. I'm sweating. I'm sweating. Thinking about, I'm sweating thinking about June. Oh, I'm June sweating thinking be about like crazy. I'm sweating thinking about like average people having to reconcile the concept of the filibuster with their voting action. Yeah. And, well, uh, we'll figure it out. We'll find a spicy way to, to link it. But we'll, we, we should make a shirt a, that has yeah, the definition of the filibuster on it. I don't know, guys. These are. Oh, yes. Words. Very spicy. <laughs> very spicy terms. Thank you so, so much, Allie. We, should, we will probably have you back before your book comes out. But definitely then it's coming I out this so. summer, right? Yes, it's coming out this summer. We're looking at August. Awesome. Incredible. Congrats. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Better Sub Podcast. Bye. 
The Betches Sup Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.